Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. everyone, I'm Guile, and I'm joined today by Chicky. Hey, I am Chicky. I'm at the Chikrin on Twitter. And Kama? Hi, this is Kama, and you can find me at Oxford Splice on Twitter. And Lady of Tarth. Hi, I'm Lot, Lady of Tarth, hyphen post on Tumblr. I'm giving you that one because that's one I can remember. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And today we are continuing our reread of A Song of, a Song of Ice and Fire with a Game of Thrones brand one, which is actually the second chapter of the entire series. And from what I understand, actually the first chapter that um, George R. R. Martin conceptualized. And mm. as such, uh, we will spoil everything, including random rumors we might hear about the Winds of Winter. Um, supplementary spoiler alert, there actually are no rumors that we've heard about a wonderful winters which we'll be discussing but if it ever happens we will discuss it you will be um, spoiled I mean, we are recording this several weeks before it will come out so who knows what will happen by the time you hear this episode several oh i thought you meant several weeks before the winds of winter will come out i'm like yeah we are just in oh, time for christmas no. just in time for george's new year's post <laughs> uh, I'm, oh god oh, I'm not for the, are you guys going to do that again for, for new listeners um, Chicky and I how many hours did we spend what was it in 2014 <laughs> it into 2015 I feel like it was a day and a night yeah reading and waiting for George's annual end of the year post on um, not a blog <laughs> which he had indicated would contain winds of winter news and that happened at like 3 in the morning and basically the news was we're, we're fucked I don't know why that makes me so happy that you two did that. (laughs) (laughs) Good times. Um, Also good times is that, you guys, I don't know if you realized it, but this is actually the 300th episode of Close the Door and Come Here that we're recording. Oh, my God. And it's brand one of A Game of Thrones? Yep, brand one of A Game of Thrones. So um, a very big, (laughs) very big mile mile marker for our team here. Congratulations, everybody. Job, we made guys. it. Yeah. 300. What wow. Well, are we thinking? <laughs> and Look really, us. we're just starting, if you think about it. <laughs> Chapter two, and we're on episode 300. The first 299 episodes were about the prologue. <laughs> <laughs> it took us, like, it's kind of beautiful. It took us 300 episodes to really, like, start with a non Jamie and Brienne read of the series. <laughs> <laughs> So commit it. We're committed. <laughs> so here we go, you guys. We are. We meet Bran, who is seven years old, and we find out that it's the ninth year of summer and the seventh year of Bran's life. Hence the fact that he's seven years old, and he's riding out with his father and his brothers as they prepare to met out justice. And Bran has this idea that they're going to meet a wildling that they're going to be basically um, killing. And we see that he has this whole image of a wildling as, you know, cruel men, and they consort with giants and ghouls. It sounds kind of fantastic. But instead, mm-hmm. um, he sees a scrawny old man of the Night's Watch, and 
as a reader, we we recognize this as Garrett that we met in the prologue. Unless you're me and you think it's Will because the show has infected your mind. <laughs> <laughs> we learn a little bit about um, about Bran, that he's a member of House Stark of Winterfell, and they're a gray direwolf races across an ice-white field on their banners. And we also get a description of Bran's father, who, the, who is the Lord of Winterfell, and we find that he's got long brown hair stirring in the wind. His closely trimmed beard was shot with white, making him look older than his 35 years. He had a grim cast to his gray eyes this day, and he seemed not at all the man who would sit before the fire in the evening and talk softly of the age of heroes and the children of the forest. He had taken off father's face, Bran thought, and donned the face of Lord Stark of Winterfell, which I love that. Um, Yeah. It's so hard to think of Ned as 35. I mean, obviously some of that's with Sean Bean, but also just (sighs) Ned himself, you know, obviously seems like a man who's older than his years, just given. Well, I mean, you think of your typical average 35 year old of today, you know, (laughs) is you don't think of like a Lord of a household, you know, it's somebody I'm not dissing anybody, but you're probably maybe just moved out of your parents. house. (laughs) So he's like a millennial. Is that what we're going with? Who's got a lot of skin? God, Ned's a millennial. Ned's an old millennial. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. Digest that one, kids. <laughs> oh, I am. I mean, well, it's, so, yeah. I guess it depends on the, the mindset of who's reading. Well, he wouldn't be, yeah. Well, I guess, probably more no, like a silent, but. If we go back to when it was written, though, in 1996, if he was 35, he probably is a boomer. Ugh, oh, worse. God, that's okay, worse. Boomer. Um, oh. Yeah, so Ned's a boomer. This is really, I mean, should we even go on? <laughs> That means Jamie's think he's a more of a silent. <laughs> oh God. no, Jamie's no, Ned's more of our greatest generation. I don't think Ned is a boomer. Um. So anyway, <laughs> Ned questions the Man of the Night's Watch for a bit, and then you know, Bran doesn't really hear what's going on, but we see him bring him over to an Ironwood. Which, an Ironwood stump, which kind of surprised me that it wasn't a Weirwood stump. Like, I actually checked back a couple of times because I thought that would make more sense. Maybe if they did the justice on a Weirwood stump, but actually is mm-hmm. Ironwood. And takes his head off with his greatsword, Ice, which is pretty damn great. Like, it's taller than Rob Stark. Um, which, you know, Rob's not the tallest guy, but it's not like, you know, he's a midget or a dwarf. Um so wide is a man's fist too. Yeah, like, wide is a man's fist taller than Rob. So this is a hell of a sword that um you know, I feel like it could probably easily make two swords. I don't know about you guys. Um <laughs> I, I think that I mean it's economical. It makes the most sense. I mean you'd have two swords. Right. <laughs> Two's you, better than one. It's a good idea. How would he even hold this on a horse really? I mean, I'm obviously they do, but that it's, seems quite a lot. Would anyway. You strap I mean, it on the back? It's a great sword, right? Yeah. 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 Great swords I think were more ceremonial. I mean somebody like a Gregor Clegane maybe could carry a great sword, but I mean for the average, you know, bro in Westeros, I think this is not something you would ever try to use in battle. Yeah. So as this is hap- before right before this happens, um Ned or Ned Brand's brother John rides up next to him and tells him not to look away and if he does their father will know. And um Bran 
Rand watches and sees everything, and we also see this little moment where that cad Theon Greyjoy is laughing and kicking the man's head away from him as it, as it rolls towards him. And we get a little interesting moment. Um, John says, you know, ass about that. So we know that John doesn't like Theon Greyjoy. And we also get... Uh, Theon, I just wanted to dropkick him when he was doing Like, this is the yeah. most disrespectful fucking thing. Yeah, we we learn a little bit more about um, Bran's brothers, that John is the bastard. And um, we get a description of John, which, again, to contrast with the description of Waymar Royce, if you listen to our prologue episode, um, John is described as having eyes so eyes were gray so dark they seemed almost black. He was an of age with Rob, but they did not look alike. John was slender where Rob was muscular, dark where Rob was fair, graceful and quick where his half-brother was strong and fast. Um, we also learn that Rob has his mother's coloring of the Tullys of River Run. And Bran's riding back home with John and Rob, and the boys are discussing a little bit about the deserter's death. And Rob thinks he died bravely, while John thinks that he was afraid. And the boys go off on a race, and Bran, Bran's pony can't keep up, so he's riding with his father. And he asks his father what, you know, what he thinks. And if he asks him, can a man still be brave if he's afraid? And Ned says, that is the only time a man can be brave. So we really, um, you can kind of, to me, I feel like I can kind of tell this was a chapter that was conceptualized super, super early because these Mm -hmm. are some of these, these lines that are so integral to the story and that come back again and again and sort of like sink inside you a little bit. Like it is the kind of thing that, you would you would have inside of you and would be like driving you to write the story at least it feels like that to me i don't know what you guys think oh yeah no totally and and probably reworked within an inch of its life mm. over the five years that i mean he, we we talked about this a little bit in the last episode but he started writing this in 91 and it wasn't published till 96 i mean he probably finished it in 94 or so but i mean yeah it's so tight and well done and the detail is really, really rich, especially like in retrospect, having already read the series several times and looking back at it, it's, it's a chef's kiss of a chapter, this chapter. (laughs) So this is the part where I've heard that this was kind of the vision that gave him the spark of the story is um, John and Rob come back and they, they summon everyone to a group of, to a dead dire wolf and her pup and a puppy. And this was what I've heard is George had this vision of a of a dead dire wolf in the snow with puppies. And, like, that's what started everything. So, like, this is what In the actually, summer snow, guys. In the summer, the summer snow. snow. He really, loved the idea uh, of summer snow. Yeah, which really, that's someone who's never, like, had summer snow. Or, I was going to say, yeah, I've seen summer snow. <laughs> <laughs> there ain't nothing good this about is that. Not, this is not necessarily in the realm of fantasy. <laughs> um, so... John, you know, I think is it Rob is holding one of the puppies and um, urges, you know, tells Brandy can come over and pet it. And the mother's dead, so there's really nothing to fear. And then he gives Bran a puppy. And, you know, Bran is just like, yes, oh, my God, a puppy, which really, you know, spoke to me. And um, the Stark men are, the Stark men and Theon are all like, you know, these are dangerous, like, we're going to kill them so they don't starve to death. It's a, it's a kinder, um, it's a kinder death. And John, of all people, 
looks around and, and he, he summons Ned, but he does it in a very formal way. He does, you know, the Lord Father. Um, there are there are three male puppies and two girl puppies, and you have three sons and two daughters. These are this is the um, this is our you know this is our sigil. Like your children are meant to have these puppies, and even Bran realizes what John's done here that he's excluded himself, and Bran thinks that you know he's never loved John more than that moment. Um, which I mean, I think you know, God, John, you- it's so him. Well, I was going to say, you know, you were talking about, uh, you know, this chapter gives you a really good concept of Ned. I think it gives you such a good concept of John as well. Yes, I would um, agree. You know, mm-hmm. John John is watching the execution and he's going, this guy's afraid. Rob's, Rob's talking about how, you know, Garrett died really well, that he was brave. And John's like, no, he was already dead. He was, yeah. he was dead of fear, um, you know, which is, as we know, <laughs> the correct read on the situation. Um, and then you have this where John, you know, kind of sits back and thinks and comes up with uh, a way to kind of work on what's important to Ned and what will allow Ned to save face in front of his guys by letting them keep the direwolf pups. And it's just kind of, it's really illustrative of kind of what you'll see from John in the future. There are some good hints about Rob here, too. But it's it's interesting because... Um... You know, if you were just coming to this series, I mean, you might be expecting Rob to be like the show people thought of him as like a lead role. Whereas here, no, we're getting no, it's not the one you need to be paying attention to is John. Mm-hmm. I do. I have to give the show credit, though, because this this bit in the show does have that classic moment where it's just Richard Madden and Kit Harrington holding puppies and looking at each other. Oh, <laughs> like, oh. That could be a calendar. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) probably was. It probably was actually. Yeah. (laughs) Um. So you know, Ned realizes this is a pretty solid argument, and um, but he does. You know, he asks. You know, do you you don't want a puppy, John? And you know, John says, "I'm not a Stark." And um, again, like when we know who John is, this is, you know, ugh, this is like, you could not have said something more convincing to Ned um, or just to make Ned feel so guilty that he will do whatever John asked him to at that moment. Uh, yeah, but so, it, it's also a shrewd move because it allows Ned to like give in. Yeah. yeah. Because mm-hmm. it's now mm-hmm. suggested without any self interest. And then we get to the part that I feel like in the book Every parent who every parent probably really, um, really, really <laughs> resonates with when Ned is giving them a lecture about, you know, oh, how yeah. you're going to have to, you know, take care of them. You can't have the servants do it. Your mother and I aren't going to do it. You know, you, you're going to feed them, and you know, they're not. You know, these are dangerous dogs. You're going to have know. to train them. <laughs> if, if I had servants, I would let the servants help. <laughs> <laughs> but all of those, you know, every parent who's gotten their kid a dog, I feel like, has probably had yeah. this conversation about how you're going to have to take it for a walk. You're going to have to clean up its poop. Wow. And, of course, the children are always like, of course we will. Of course we will. And, then, you know, so it's going to be morning. like that, that episode of Mad Men where Betty ends up having to walk the, the dog that Don brought home for his daughter. So there's mm-hmm. going to be Ned out in his slippers walking around the neighborhood with the direwolves. Well, Except, you like, know, it's going to be Cat. Yeah. Yeah, it is going to be Cat. You're right. I feel like if George had had, if George had children, the next chapter would have started with Cat walking one of the dire walks <laughs> to, the, to the gods. Picking up its shit. Yeah. 
<laughs> yep. Literally picking, picking up his shit. shit. That would be, <laughs> yes, that would, that would actually be what would have happened. Um, he still subscribes. <laughs> yeah, he still subscribes to that myth that these children are actually going to take care of the puppies. Um, just as a note to my mother, I would have taken care of um, my puppy yeah, that yeah. I didn't get when I was eight. Um, sure you would. <laughs> I absolutely would have. <laughs> Your mother made the right call. <laughs> nope, nope, she did not. That's why she gets to have like, that's why she gets like five or six dogs coming to her house on Thanksgiving because they would never let their children have any. So we have to compensate uh, as adults. Deeper seated <laughs> things happening here. <laughs> So, so anyway, um, Ned makes the boys promise, and of course they do, and they head for home, and, you know, Bran is like, again, I really, I really relate so much to Bran in this moment, because he basically has this puppy inside of his, inside of his coat, snuggling down into, down into him, and he's just so happy to have this puppy, (laughs) and um, all of a sudden John stops and is like, can you guys hear this? And no one really knows what he's talking about. And John, um, John gallops back, gets off his horse, and comes and then comes back with, comes riding back with them, with a white wolf puppy, an albino wolf puppy with red eyes. Um, and uh, he claim, you know, he claims it as his own. Uh, Theon Greyjoy is like, this one's gonna die even faster than the others, and. The chapter ends with <laughs> Theon is such a dick. Such a um, dick. Jon Snow gave his father's ward a long, chilling look. I think not, Greyjoy, he said. This one belongs to me. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so we meet who we don't know as ghosts yet in a really, um, obviously, you know, John already kind of had that psychic connection to him. If he could Yes, him. Yeah. yes, Just clearly this is cool. a hint. Yeah, this is a hint about the warging, obviously, and then of course the not subtle imagery of this white pup who is clearly an indicator of the, the fact outside. that John is a secret Targaryen. Yeah, and just I mean, such a cool, um, a, a cool introduction to the North and to the Starks and to you know, it's funny we don't even get the names of um. We didn't even get the names of their sisters or of Cat, I think, or anything. Like, there are no women in this chapter, Gail. Yeah. There are no women in yeah. this chapter. So we've I gone just... two chapters with no ladies. Um, no ladies. Boring. Yeah, really. That's why I don't like the wall stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Needs more ladies. Um, yeah. But yeah, we get a good introduction. And I, I think to Kama's point, you know, it really, it kind of tees up. Rob and John is right, you know, is what, what are Rob and John going to be, you know, I think be to each other, et cetera. And, you know, you know, I don't think anything happens that a reader would have expected to happen. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize I, how much, I mean, clearly they're starting. Well, this may be, this was an issue I had with the show because I was so confused by who all these people were. Um, but I remember, I do remember reading this and still being confused and not really getting how much of a dick Theon is. Yeah, he really came across dick. strong as an asshole. Well, he was well, literally I mean, called an ass. But. It's also a bit heavy-handed. Like, they have him kick a dead guy's head, threaten to kill puppies, and, like, well, yeah, but they, you know, I pretty mean. I think, I mean, I in my defense, I missed all of that because there's just so much going on and so many characters, and I'd come off of the, you know, so. But, like, you gotta wonder oh, where... 
George in his uh, storytelling changed this the idea of the betrayal of Theon um, because like we really should have known right from the hop he was not a good guy <laughs> with the way he was written in this first chapter I think yeah, he's just written know. as callous you know so. I think it's just it's, he's living I mean George clearly assumes you're going to get caught up and you kind of do but like I think when you're coming at these books for the first time, it's hard. I mean, seriously, there were memes about oh yeah, yeah, able to keep track of who's who. You know, I did so. like that this chapter established like when I when I think of the Stark kids, I always you know I always kind of key in on the bond between um, Bran and Rob, and yeah. I do like that this really reestablishes in my head at least that there's this closeness between John and Bran too. And, you know, Mm -hmm. just given everything that happens, you know, that's probably, you know, that's going to be the bond that's more important. And so it was nice to see that and be reminded of that. Well, I just kind of like the whole family vibe that you get. Cause you know, this is very much a dad and his kids as much as there are all these servants and retainers and everything around. I mean, like you you very much do get the sense that this is a family. And, and one part that I forgot, um, I'm sorry, I I forgot to talk about that was in my notes was just the conversation that Ned has with Bran about, you know, do you understand why I had to, why I had to do it? And, you know, talking to him about how, you know, the man who, the man who um, passes the sentence should swing the sword and, and why yeah. that's important. And, you know, like that, it's a good insight into Ned's character. And again, is one of those lines that like sinks into your soul as you read these books, but also just, you know, he's really being a good dad. Like there's a reason that, you know, there's a reason that Bran had to wait to, until a certain age and then he has to go witness this. Like this is his, you know, this is Ned parenting him. It's not just like, you know, let's go look at a man, you know, being beheaded for shits and giggles. It's like, no, Brand, you're going to be. Let's go to the execution. For, right, like you're going to be responsible for this, Brand. Like when you have your own hold fast, like you need to understand this. And, um, you know, it's just like it's it's a good example of Ned being a really good dad. And when you know, when we look back and we think about you know things like why wasn't why weren't Rob and Sansa betrothed? Then you know, you get into all of this, like all of the ways that they kind of Ned and Cat kind of failed as parents, like. It's kind of nice to see like this way like no this is this is really good parenting here yeah yeah well, I, I agree terrible i think it's just they have they have strengths and they have weaknesses well, like they didn't any prepare parent. their children for the they didn't really prepare their children for the south basically you know no yeah politics politics yeah i don't know I, it's weird that there wasn't more of a red flag though about like our seriousness that the fact that they had this dire wolf this far south because they did like touch on it like well i mean they said oh they it hasn't about been it. one for 200 years yeah. but like well, it was i can't oh, mama maybe we'll get there but i can't recall if they're like is there no investigating done about this because like, i don't know that they investigate it but they talk about it in catlin's chapter as well that this is a weird sign, possibly a bad omen, yeah, that there's yeah. a... And I think that's where Ned kind of talks a little bit about what Garrett might have said to him, too. So, you know, we do get we do get some of that, like, shit's going down north, but then obviously in that chapter it's really quickly overshadowed by, you know, what's coming from the south. But that's what George is doing. He, yeah. He's deliberately making yeah. it so people have distractions not to pay attention to what's actually important. Yeah. I mean, the, the the evidence is there for what's actually important, but but it's being obfuscated so well oh. that the writers and producers of Game of Thrones didn't understand it or yeah. include it in their adaptation. Yeah, 
And, I mean, now when you're saying that, and I think, you know, think of our current political situation, you could have also just perfectly described that as well, you know, like, yeah. the dis- you know, distractions from the real battles, so. Yeah. yeah. So I just want to say one thing before we move on. Uh, we've been talking about, like, how well this, this really sets up so many people, but this really sets Bran up very well, too, this chapter. Like, you know, for a seven-year-old, he's very observant, and he he pays attention to how people work and act and how they interact with each other, you kind of have to appreciate it. You don't see this from all of the POV characters. It's something that is definitely big with, with Bran. And he's never too, he's never really too old for his age either. You know, I, I think that's something that George does really well. And as we'll see, mm-hmm. is he writes these younger kids. I mean, yeah, he's, you know, he's a little too precocious for seven, I think, but you know, he's still a seven. He's still recognizable as a child. Yeah. I would agree mm-hmm. with that. Do we um, do we have any mail in this chapter? We do. Um, hang on. We got an... My computer is having... Okay. We got an email from Mary Claire, who writes, um, Ladies, right off the, br- the bat, in Brand 1, the reader is introduced to a number of themes that, in my opinion, define A Song of Ice and Fire by being woven together so well. Bloodshed, justice, family, love, duty, mentorship, leadership, coming of age, belonging, the supernatural, myth-making. It seems to me that the Jamie Brienne storyline is a microcosm that incorporates all the themes found in the overall story. This may be because I view the two POVs as one story, which gives them an advantage storyline. Do you think any other storylines are as complex as Jamie and Brienne? Which POVs do you think tackle which themes really well? And what are the purposes of Brand's POV? Um, I'm going to pause there. There's a little bit more, but maybe we could talk a little bit about that. Hmm. There, <laughs> I mean, all of the storylines are very complex. complex. Yeah. When you tear them apart <clears throat> at, at the level that we have Jamie and Brienne, they all have that level of complexity. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I think you get that with Arya. I think you get that with Sansa, Catelyn. I mean, a lot of that. Certainly the stuff at the wall. Oh, and Tyrion. Yeah. I mean, they're all different aspects of those things, but I think they all, I think we've just been so focused on Jamie and Brienne. Which is what you do. You focus on what you love the most. So, you know, you yeah. kind of super invest in it. Sometimes it gives us kind of an inflated sense of Jamie and Brienne's position in the story because we do that. But, you know, you can do that with any of the characters and find just as much um, deep information. And then the she also, of it. Yeah. I mean, that's what makes this such a good series. Um, and one of her other, well, I, we haven't answered this, but what are the purposes of Brand's point, uh, POV? I mean, we don't know. Foundation, world building, um, Oh, I think we do know. I think what, yeah. Well, I'm just thinking in terms of like an end game, like, you know, if it's, is Bran, you know, is Bran going to end up like ruling everyone? Like, really? Then, you know, this is kind of a bizarre <laughs> start to it. Um, well, I think it, I, I wasn't, I don't know. I don't know what Mary Claire was going for, but I don't know that that's necessarily the end we're talking about. It's more. Well, 
I mean, George uh-uh. had always said something to you, like the the children. He was interested in looking at like the next generation coming up from the one, the adults of this story. So, starting with you know the the next generation makes sense too. Well, um, I mean, clearly Bran's going to play a big role in whatever the the. I'm going to say the wrap up of whatever happens with the others. I mean, we don't know for, I mean, obviously human humanity will win in the end. Um, You know, (laughs) it's going to be a big part of it. If you think that the book starts with the, with the antagonist and now this is the protagonist. So, you know, I I think, I mean, I I really do. I mean, and I don't think he's going to end up on the iron throne or some bullshit like that, but I do think that Bran is kind of the protagonist of the story. If, yeah, if well, well, yeah. There's a reason. There's a reason you get his POV first of right, the POV chapter. Yeah. And I, you know, again, like, does anyone think Bran's gonna die ever in the books? Like a normal, like human death? Like, I don't. No. No. And no. yeah, I mean, I, I think he's he's the main he's the main character in as in so much as there's a main character. Yeah. Um, She's also got another part, uh, which I'll read now. I must be an inattentive reader because even though wildlings are described as, quote, cruel men, unquote, in the second paragraph of Bran 1, all through A Game of Thrones, I thought they were monsters. It wasn't until John meets Ygritte in Clash that I realized wildlings were human beings and not some kind of magical beast like orcs. Maybe I conflated them with the others, but I definitely thought they were inhuman. Um, don't the, the OSHA and whatnot are in a Game of Thrones, aren't they? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I think there's such big books and there's so much going on. And if you're rushing to get to the parts, you really you miss so much. <laughs> there is, but I mean, this is a tool that George is using. George uses this this concept of a very limited POV structure, so that you're hearing what someone thinks, which is not right. necessarily empirical yeah. truth. And what has Bran heard? I mean, even even Ned in this chapter is saying to him, you know, well, you've had those stories from old Nan that that maybe is not the reality. And so, you know, the stories that everyone hears about wildlings and you get a lot of it from John's chapters at the wall, too. You know, I mean, like they're I shouldn't say scared, but of course they are scared of the wildlings. You know, they're the enemies. And so they kind of get painted in this this terrible way. And that maybe does sound inhuman. Well, yeah. the other thing I'm going to point out, and I've said this before, you know, like you're reading this book and it's it's not like it's like if you've ever read books with like an unreliable narrator, it's not like they're usually broadcast like that. It usually takes you a little bit going in for you to understand that, yes, the POV chapters, you know, the this is what they're like, just Chicky just said, this is what the characters are thinking. This is not necessarily empirical truth. That's what you yeah. said, right? But, like, so this is, like, the first real chapter, you know, you're reading it, and then you get plunged into, you know, all these other stories. I can totally see how this could kind of happen. Oh, yeah, I can see how you could get confused, too. But, I mean, I I think part of it is, like, that's that's kind of what initially George wants you to think. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And she also says that conversation between John and Rob about the man's eyes is also interesting in in hindsight. Thanks for the podcast. Hmm. Agreed. Agreed. Gosh, there's just, there's a lot of really, he's so good with the details, you know, that really are 
meaningful details. Sometimes, you know, you're like, oh, we read too much into the stuff that he does. But God, he's so deliberate with stuff. So when you guys are, when you're thinking about that conversation between Rob and John, is it just in terms of like John being, John maybe seeing more beyond the exterior than Rob does? Like John having a deeper understanding or, or what are you, what are you kind of getting out of Yeah, that? well, and what they care about. What are they interested in? I mean, Rob's going, oh, well, he, he died honorably. Like that's what Rob is thinking about, you know? Rob's thinking about it as 100% a future Lord, you know? Yeah. Did he, did he... Did he die well? You know, what about his house? I mean, there's a lot of Ned, too, in, in the way that Rob thinks about it. Whereas John, because he's a little bit of an outsider, is paying more attention to what the internal existence of Garrett is. It's not just what Garrett is presenting to the world or whatever, mm-hmm. or what you want to see. John is John is seeing more of what actually is going on. There's just so much done at so many different levels that I just, I have to appreciate the artistry. Yeah. It's hard to juggle this many characters and have each of them seem entirely and completely unique. And you rarely see it. You rarely, you rarely see anybody even tackle a story with this many distinct and individual characters. And when they do, you rarely see it so that they're so distinctive. So sometimes you can just see a, a bit of dialogue and you know which character delivered it out of hundreds. I mean, that's where George shines. This is very difficult to do. And I think too, when you read this chapter, you do want to know you know you want to know more about Ned. You want to know more about John and Rob, and even you know maybe not Theon at this point, but <laughs> like you definitely welcome the POV of of John and Ned when it comes along too. Yeah. Is there anything else anyone has for this chapter? Not for me. Nope. Well, if you have anything you want to say about this chapter or. Um, communicate with us at all, you can find us at closethedoorand at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at Door Podcast or on Tumblr at Close the Door and Come Here. If you would like to support our podcast, you can do so on Patreon. We're at patreon.com, close the door, I believe. And you can find us on Podbean on, with Apple Podcast uh, everywhere that you listen to your podcasts. And with that, I'm going to close the door. Get out. <laughs>